15 yet. Just to, just to kind of, it's good for us to quiz ourselves, to, to know how to handle the scriptures, know where certain things are found. Uh, and that is a great passage where Jesus calls us to abide in him. That's what we'll start our service with as we sing and, and pray, really, Lord, teach me to abide. Don't come naturally to abide in Christ. He has to teach us, and, uh, and he will if we just seek to abide in him and have him abide in us. So let's stand together and sing Abide.
Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day that you've given to us and uh, the nice spring weather that you're, you're bringing on. And I pray that you would help us to enjoy it and uh, give the glory to you for it. I pray that you would uh, bless this offering and bless the message that we received today. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
fullness of deity dwells bodily, 
And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespass, trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. By canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, kneeling it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Thank you, Ed. Um, we had several of these in the bulletin. Did anybody not get one? It's a half sheet with Colossians 2 on it. Anybody else not get one? You guys have some? So jump back into Colossians chapter 2 today. And uh, let me give a little uh, commercial for Sunday school as well. Rob sent me a text, a paragraph of all of his symptoms. So I'll be praying for Rob. Um, watering eyes, cough, runny nose, earache, toothache. It just went on and on. So I said, no problem. Yeah. Um, so Sunday school, Wednesday nights, we've been going through a series called uh, Urban Apologetics. It's on Right Now Media, if you're interested. Uh, it will challenge your thinking. Uh, when I read the title of the first episode, I'm like, really? And, yeah, really. <laughs> uh, so it was very interesting. I think we'll have some interesting conversation, uh, challenge some of our notions. Basically, the it's uh, an urban pastor in Philadelphia, and he's seeking to remove the objections of his community to Christianity and the gospel. And so these are the issues that he's dealing with within that community. And it very interesting conversation. So I, I think we've had some good discussions on Wednesday nights. So Paul is also doing the same thing. Paul's doing urban apologetics with the Colossians. And he's not even there. He's writing from afar, if you recall. And he's seeking to defend the gospel against the heresy. And it's a mixture of Jewish thinking, uh, clinging to the, the law, the old ways, and uh, ancient religions, the ancient religions that are there, the, the other gods, if you will, uh, and the worship of angels. It's just a mixture of things that are drawing the Colossians back to what they've known, what's been there before they came to Christ. And so he's dealing with uh, issues facing the Colossian believers, and he focuses them back on the only answer, which is... Jesus Christ, uh, the supremacy of Christ. So, the songs today were amazing, and uh, I just kept pulling my pen out and writing more notes on my sermon here, um, but one of those songs, The God of Calvary, and just stopping to consider Jesus on the cross bearing the weight of all our sin. And I don't, I don't know about you. But just singing those songs, I was thinking about some of my own sins, you know, and how amazed I need to be that I can be forgiven. And uh, my kids tease me about crying during my sermons. I'm like, I haven't done that much for a long time. <laughs> well, <clears throat> today's the day. So we bought a house in Mount Clemens uh, 25 years ago now. And uh, on the street... Somebody was walking out one of the other houses, and you could see in their house, and it's the same house as ours, and yet their house was more open. And Heather happened to see that. She's like, Scott, we've got to do that to our house. And so it was before we moved in, and uh, we had two weeks before we were going to move in. And so a retired carpenter or a retired electrician and a retired drywall, you know, do-it-everything guy came and gave me their time for a week. And uh, it was awesome. It was a blessing. But what they did 
you walk, you'd walk into our house, and there was a door right here to the stairway, and so the stairway was enclosed. And on the other side was the dining room, and then the kitchen, bathroom, master bedroom, and our family room. Yeah. And so that used to be, the dining room used to be a bedroom, and they had opened it up to make it a dining room with a kitchen, a small little kitchen, just a little house. And uh, so the other house, that was all torn out and opened up, and they had moved up the stairway like eight feet. And so it was nice and open. And so this retired carpenter and the other gentleman, they did that for us. And... Uh, it was kind of funny when it came to putting in the stair rail, the uh, retired carpenter, he was doing everything he could. I mean, going to all these great lengths. And I'm like, JD, why, why are you doing all this stuff? And he's like, I want to make sure that those little redheads are able to swing from this rail and it's going to handle them. <laughs> well, Jesus, the carpenter, the God of Calvary, the weight of all our sin. And he, he bore it for you and me. Wow. So our passage this morning that Ed read, uh, we're focusing really on two verses. And uh, it's really circumcision and baptism. And mainly we're going to deal with circumcision, a little bit about baptism, and the next time I speak we'll carry baptism and then move on into the passages. But... Uh, Paul, again, is dealing with these issues that keep coming up in the Colossian lives. Their, their battle with this new thing, the gospel, and what they've known. And so the struggle. And if, if you're familiar with your New Testament, issues about the law come up all the time. Issues about circumcision come up. You know, there's, there's the, the, the circumcision the group of people who are of the circumcision, and the uncircumcised. And so, all of this, what, what is this? So, as I was studying for this, I, I asked several people, I said, so, what do you know about, what, why do we do circumcision? What was the, the spiritual purpose? What was the deal? And I got several different answers. And so I want to look at that, really, today. That's the main kind of thought. But Paul links... The Old Testament rite of circumcision with baptism. And an author that I'm enjoying reading, he said this statement, and I'll, I'll bring this up again, but can we say the same thing or should we say the same things about circumcision and what it meant spiritually that we say about baptism in the New Testament? Circumcision, the New Testament version of that, is baptism. It's different, but can we say or should we say the same things? And think about that. And he, uh, the author deals with the creeds and how they differ actually from some, the scriptures in some places. And how we, how we need to read a little carefully. And so it, it was an interesting um, question. So circumcision, spiritually, what does it mean? So, how are they related? Many questions come up uh, in our discussion and our thoughts about how they're related, but let's look at the details. When did circumcision begin? Uh, it was instituted by God in his covenant with Abraham back in Genesis 17. And God commanded Abraham, if you recall, um, the, the Tower of Babel incident came in Genesis 11. Uh, Genesis 10 was the table of nations, and Israel is not listed in those 70 or 72, if you go by the Septuagint, nations that are listed. Israel's not there because it hasn't been created yet. Well, then in chapter 12, God calls Abraham. And in verse 3, the world is going to be blessed through Abraham, through his offspring. All right? And so now we come to chapter 17, and we're looking towards the birth of Isaac, and all of this. So, it was instituted by God with Abraham, Genesis 17, verse 10, every male among you must be circumcised. And so, all of Abraham's um, entourage, all the men with him, you know, whether, whether or not, whoever they were, they had to do that, whatever age. And why? This will be a reminder of the covenant between you and me. 
And that is the whole crux of it from then on. It's a reminder. It's a, it's a, it's a sign, a symbol. And so uh, circumcision in Old Testament times, one author said, was the single clearest distinguishing feature of the covenant people. All right? So what did it accomplish for the individual Israelite? And it was Israelite male. But what, what did it accomplish for Israelites? For the men, it became the external act signifying entrance, and this is significant, into the Old Testament community of faith. All right, what, what does that mean? It signified entrance into the Old Testament community of faith. This inclusion provided what? It provided access to crucial information. Very important information. Based back on Genesis chapter 12. What Israel was set out to be. Information about God. The one God. The Elohim of Elohims. If you're familiar with some of the Unseen Realm conversations we've had. It meant that they were now included in that body of people that had the teaching of the truth of God. God gave it to them. He revealed himself, who he is, what he's like, what he does, to them. Uh, and how to walk with him. You know, the law, the whole deal, how to have a relationship with God. But what about women? What about women? We'll get more into this in a little bit. But circumcision was only for males. So how did women have access to the Old Testament community of faith? Um, one thing is clear. It's clear, we think about what did circumcision provide spiritually. It's clear that circumcision did nothing in regard to spiritual destiny. Uh, it didn't ensure an eternal life. If it did, then women, women would not have been included in the children of Israel. They wouldn't have been part of that body. Um, and they would have been excluded from eternal life. And that's not the case at all. Uh, we, the Bible is full of faithful women who love the Lord. Uh, but in the Old Testament patriarchal system, women had access by having a circumcised father or husband who was part of the community of faith. That's just how it was. And then they were part of that community, able to partake in that instruction and hearing the truth of who God was. Um, what did circumcision accomplish for the individual? All right, another aspect of that. It didn't provide salvation. What else didn't it do? It didn't lessen the sinful impulses. Um, most Old Testament Israelites turned from God to idolatry, uh, resulting in many judgments. You read your Old Testament, it's full of that, where they turned from God to idols, where they did this, they did that, and God brought their enemies to bear on them. To what? That was gracious, to turn them back to him. Right? Look at the cycle of the book of Judges where they served the Lord, then they turned from the Lord, they served their enemies, and God came and rescued them, and they served the Lord. All of those things going on. Um, but ultimately, it, it also ended up in the exile. All right, so did circumcision provide salvation or lessen any sinful impulses? No. Uh, the fact that Israelite men were circumcised meant nothing with respect to their spiritual impulse or destiny. All right? Now, if you look at your New Testament, there is a reason I'm spending all this time on this subject. In Romans 4, Paul labors the point. It's Romans 4, 9 through 12, and I'll read it here in a second. Um, but Paul is laboring to point out that Abraham was justified by his faith prior to circumcision. Because why? What does the scripture say? Somebody throw it out here. He was counted righteous because what? He believed. Yes, he believed. His faith. Romans 4, 9 through 12, Paul is asking these questions. Is this blessedness then for the circumcision or also the uncircumcision? For we say faith was credited. He's, he's going, if you read chapter 4, he's, he's in a debate about um, keeping the law and, and those things. So, he, for we say, verse 9, the end of it, faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. Verse 10, how then was it credited to him? Was he circumcised at the time or not? No, he was not circumcised, but uncircumcised. 
And he received the, key word here, sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised, so that he would become the father of all those who believe but have never been circumcised, that they too could have righteousness credited to them. And he is also the father of the circumcised, who are not only circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham possessed when he was still uncircumcised. He's very clear. You know, he's not, he's not mincing words. Um, Abraham was counted righteous because of his faith prior to circumcision. It did nothing for him spiritually in that way. It was an outward sign that they were part of the community. Uh, Mike Heiser says that Old Testament circumcision was a constant reminder of Israel being set apart by God as his chosen people. Their lives and the lives of their children began as a supernatural act of God on behalf of a very elderly couple, you recall, Abraham and Sarah, when God gave them Isaac. And what did Isaac's name mean? <laughs> what? Yeah, we're going to have a baby. So, yeah, laughter. And so, it was a reminder of God's grace to this couple and to all who would follow after. It was a reminder of the supernatural grace of God directed at a people whom God had chosen in love to give them the revelation of who he was and how to be rightly related to him. Again, um, circumcision granted the recipient admission into the community of Israel. I'm going to be a little redundant. The community had the exclusive revelation of the true God. This truth included Yahweh's covenant relationship with Israel and their need to have, here's another key thing that Paul talks about, circumcised hearts. It wasn't an outward thing that produced something. It was what took place inside. And the same for you and me. Um, circumcised hearts to worship Yahweh and Him alone. Covenant faithfulness. How are women part of this community? Having access to these exclusive truths about the one true God, women entered the community through marriage to a circumcised man or being born to true Israelite parents. Uh, intermarriage with foreigners, those not circumcised, was forbidden. And what did that accomplish? It protected the, these truths, this body of truths, right, from the intermingling. Um, it protected the truths of the community and demonstrated uh, the spiritual importance of that right, the import, importance of the right of circumcision. Only Israel had the truth of the one true God among all the gods and how one could be rightly related to him, the one true God, the God of gods. Uh, only Israel was given the way of salvation. In Genesis 12, as mentioned, God tells Abraham the entire world will be blessed through his children. So Israel was the trumpet of the exclusivity of the one true God, right? So, I mentioned uh, that statement uh, earlier. Is this statement true? What we say about circumcision, we should say about baptism. We're going to deal more with that question later, the next time I speak. Um, we'll talk more about baptism, its similarity or lack thereof to circumcision. Not about necessarily modes, but more about what, what the scriptures talk about um, the sign aspect of circumcision and baptism. So let's jump back to Colossians chapter 2. Uh, Paul connects circumcision and baptism. Um, is Paul talking literally? Here's a question in Colossians 2, which we're going to read through here in a second. But some people believe that Paul, and even some of the creeds, believe that Paul here in Colossians 2, 11-12 is talking literal circumcision and literal baptism. <clears throat> what is he talking about? Is it literal, physical, or is it spiritual? And so we want to figure that out. Um, in order to figure it out, let's consider the surrounding context of Paul's conversation with the Colossians. And that's why I have given you this sheet of paper uh, what is the context of Paul's connecting circumcision and baptism in Colossians 2? Are spiritual things happening in Colossians 2, or are physical things happening in Colossians 2? And uh, the sheet, you can follow along in your Bible. The advantage of this little sheet is I underlined um, the action points 
regarding what Christ has done, uh, the accomplishments that he has done, um, results of what Christ has done for the Colossians and for you and I. Um, I would suggest, maybe just for the fun of it, um, what I'm trying to encourage is Bible marking. You know, stopping and um, Kay Arthur has a Bible marking system, and Heather loved it, and I, I got bogged down. But Heather has done amazing things with it for her own, and as you sit there and look at that, things just start popping out. So maybe the things that I've underlined, if you agree and think that I, I have pinpointed the correct thing, circle it, you know, and just see what's going on here. But I want you to see how involved Christ is in these passages and what he's doing. And in your mind, are these physical things or are they spiritual things? What is the context of these 15 verses? All right, let's read through. Um, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those in Laodicea and for those who have not met me face to face. My goal is that their hearts, having been knit together in love, may be encouraged, and that they may have all the riches that assurance brings in their understanding of the knowledge of the mystery of God, namely Christ. And here, verse 3 is really where we start kicking in. In whom, in Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, I say this so that no one will deceive you through arguments that sound reasonable. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your morale and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, and firm in your faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Be careful not to allow anyone to captivate you through an empty, deceitful philosophy that is according to human traditions and the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form, and you have been filled in him, who is the head over every ruler and authority. In him you also were circumcised, not, however, with a circumcision performed by human hands, but by the removal of the fleshly body, that is, through the circumcision done by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, you also have been raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. And then on the back, verse 13, And even though you were dead in your transgressions, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he nevertheless made you alive with him, having forgiven all your transgressions. He has destroyed what was against us, a certificate of indebtedness expressed in decrees opposed to us. He has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. Disarming the rulers and authorities, he has made a public disgrace of them, triumphing over them by the cross." One aspect of this at the end here, he's talking about Paul, the same thing in Ephesians. Principalities and powers and rulers, um, wickedness in high places, supernatural aspects, spiritual things. All right? Baptism, we'll talk next time about baptism as spiritual warfare. Taking sides. If you're, if you're in India now and you accept Christ, and you go and, and be baptized publicly, what's going to happen to you? In, in um, Muslim countries, if you accept Christ, what's going to happen to you? You've picked a side, and it's going to be a problem. So it is spiritual warfare. And, and if you stop and think about it, I was driving home yesterday thinking about just all the different things that pop up in our world. You know, a school shooting or this or that, whatever it might be. And just stopping to think about the evil that surrounds us that we can't see all the time. And if we didn't have all of these distractions, one, as a society, how, how could things maybe be bettered that we didn't have all of those? But the gospel, too. These are a major hindrance to, God, to the gospel because these things push people opposed to each other. There's a great opposition for these other things and... 
There's no, no option, there's no opportunity to talk about the gospel because of some all, all these other unrest that is going on. Just a, a weird thought. That's, that's free. Um, so Paul connects baptism and circumcision. Um, <clears throat> as we walk through this, I think you'll see more than 20 spiritual accomplishments in that little list. All right. So is Paul talking physical things or spiritual things? What do you think? Spiritual things. Spiritual things. The spiritual accomplishments of Christ. They point to his death, burial, and resurrection, which all accomplish spiritual things. It's interesting to note that baptism is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and a believer identifying with Christ. Paul talks about it in these verses. Dying to the flesh. What is circumcision of the heart? It's dying to the flesh. Being buried, all right? Dying to the old man, putting away the flesh, and being raised from the dead. We're raised to new life. Uh, at the baptism service not long ago, I think Rob says something along, buried with him and risen to new life. All right? That's the picture, that we're dying to the old man. We're burying, we're putting that away, and we're being raised to new life, just as Jesus was resurrected. That's what he's accomplishing. And that's why it talks about the circumcision by Jesus, where he's cutting away our old fleshly nature, and we have a new nature. We have the new man. That's, that's an interesting parallel. Um, baptism doesn't accomplish those things. It's symbolic. And we'll talk about that again next time. It's symbolic of what has already happened in the individual heart and life by, by the person's own testimony. Um, it's some, some baptisms I've been to, people have given their testimony of how they came to know the Lord. And that they're being baptized in front of family and friends. That's, that's what's going on. They're, they're giving their testimony. This is why this is taking place. And so the, the point of this exercise, walking through the verses, is to focus on the spiritual nature of what Christ has done. So let's walk through verse, verses 11 and 12. Look at verse 11. Circumcised, but not with human hands. Obviously, that's spiritual. By removal of the fleshly body, what I've just alluded to, Christ has taken away your fleshly desires, symbolizing uh, that removal of the flesh. Uh, circumcision of the heart, dying to the flesh and living for Christ. Romans 2.29, Paul again says, but someone is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart by the Spirit and not by the letter, not keeping the law. Not something we do outwardly to accomplish something inward. It's what the Spirit produces inward. And Paul goes on to say, this person's praise is not from people. Hey, good job, nice, that's really good. No, but from God. It's not the following of the letter of the law, but by grace that we're saved. And so the Spirit changes our hearts. Leviticus 26, 40-42 says, However, when they confess their iniquity <clears throat> and their ancestors' iniquity, when they committed, which they committed by trespassing against me, by which they also walked in hostility against me, and I myself walk in hostility against them to bring them in the land of their enemies, all right? Again, God graciously using the enemies to turn Israel back to himself. And then their uncircumcised hearts become humbled, and they make up for their iniquities. I will remember my covenant with Jacob and Isaac and with Abraham. All right? So it all goes all the way back, again, to that original covenant with Abraham. And then, uh, again, in verse 11, through the circumcision done by Christ... This speaks of Christ dying on the cross. Himself, his body being killed. Him dying on the cross. All right. So the circumcision done by Christ. The believer is given a new nature. The new man, the old man, has been done away. And then look at verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism. Again, the same picture that I already talked about. We're buried with him in baptism. And then being raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. And that's pointing ultimately to what? Our ultimate resurrection. 
right? Ultimately, when we will be with the Lord and we will be like him because we'll see him as he is. Uh, why does all this matter? You know, why, why spend all of this time? First, why did it matter for the Colossians? Because again, Paul was writing to them. It's for us. But he was writing to them in their context, in their time, all of those details. What did it mean for the Colossians? Uh, the heresy in Colossae was drawing people from simple reliance upon Christ and the cross. Jesus paid it all. all right? It's done. It's freely given to all those who believe. And Paul is calling them back to simple faith. Simple faith in Christ alone. And as I mentioned, it's not in keeping of the letter of the law or outward forms of obedience. Um, I was reminded of, of uh, working at um, a religious facility that was full of people there doing forms, doing forms of worship. Um, I was painting at another church recently, and they had stained glass up there. And I, I just, you know, you think about the accoutrements of worship. You know, when you look at stained glass, do you kind of think of church? I mean, it's kind of a thing that belongs in church, but it's just glass. I mean, it's just stained glass. What, you know, there's nothing actually to it. Um, just kind of interesting sometimes the accoutrements that we add to things that maybe make us feel like we're doing something spiritual. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. All right. These are kind of the things that are being challenged here with Paul. Simple faith in Christ. Um, throughout the New Testament, we see people struggling with this very thing. Uh, going back to keeping the law instead of relying upon Christ. Throughout the New Testament, there's debate between now Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. Some Jewish Christians that are saying the Gentiles now have to start doing these things from the law. Right? Those debates that are going out throughout the New Testament. Jesus addresses those around him when he's there uh, amongst them. So, um, debates about the importance of the law over Christ. Much is written about the hold of the law over the good news of Jesus Christ. They would lean back to what they knew. And it reminds us of the spiritual significance of Israel, that they possessed the truth. And they were the trumpet for the good news of Jesus Christ before Jesus Christ came, that, that God had a chosen people, and from that chosen people, who would come? The Messiah. Now Jesus has come. He's fulfilled the law. He replaced it with the good news, the resurrection of Christ, the law of Christ. And so what does it mean for you and I? In what have you placed your faith? Baptism in the New Testament is a picture of a heart transformed by God and of a new life in Christ. And, and that's a picture, someone being identifying with Christ in dying, buried, raised to new life. It's a testimony before others that you're God's and he's yours. And that, that Old Testament promise that I will be their God and they will be my people. Amazing. So the question, are you believing Christ? That his death, burial, and resurrection provided the way for you to be forgiven. To be rightly related to God. And the Bible tells us that that's the only way. The only way. So have we begun to rely on our own performance? I've talked about the accoutrements of, of worship. Going to church. Having our devotions. Not swearing. You know, outward... Uh, forms, not the attitude of the heart, not what's truly going on in the heart. One of my professors in seminary, Dr. Compton, I think he was my favorite, a man with several degrees, knew several languages, very intelligent guy, but often in class, he would point us to 1 John 1, 9, and say something along these lines, that when the Holy Spirit convicted him of some sin, that he had the privilege and the confidence to run to God and to seek his forgiveness, and that it was promised that God would not only forgive him, but to cleanse him 
from his sin as well. That always got me. You know, just a simple thing of 1 John 1, 9. You hear a seminary professor point to a verse that most of us all have memorized. But you know what? It was, it was a significant moment in class to hear him kind of get choked up about that. Maybe it's time for you and I to do the same. And during the song service, it obviously was time for me to do that. Uh, to quietly go before the Lord and seek his forgiveness for the little and big ways we've chosen to wander in our walk with him. So 1 John 1, 9. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous, forgiving us our sins and cleansing us from all unrighteousness. What a privilege that is. And I guess the question for myself and for you is when was the last time, like a little kid, kneeling down by your bed, maybe even just in your heart, not outwardly, praying that prayer before the Lord for the simple attitudes, angry at a person in traffic, whatever it is, you know? I'm sure, like me, you can look back at this week and say, oh, man. <laughs> man. Another one of the songs, Jesus, Son of God, at the altar of our praise, let there be no higher name. Jesus, Son of God. Where is the attitude of my heart? What's the attitude of your heart? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for amazing truths, but also that they are simple truths. That we can be rightly related to you through your Son. That we can have forgiveness and cleansing. Father, I pray that you would soften our hearts. That in a world that is full of a lot of clamor, a lot of things going on, we all have frustrations at, at work or at school or home or, or in traffic, maybe in line at the store. I pray that you would give us a measure of grace, that the Spirit would soften our hearts to look at the people around us, and that we are like Israel of old, that we have the truth. We have that body of truth, the good news. And that you would use us to be a light, a reflection of the Spirit of Christ that is within us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and sing, In Christ alone.
passage in Colossians this morning. Just grateful for the work he did in Paul's life and how his inspired writings still teach us and instruct us today. And we praise you especially for Christ. We sing in Christ alone. And every time I, I sing, as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. But every day, I still feel that grip. It's just, it's frustrating. We understand our need for First John 1, 9, but the hope that we have in Christ is there. Father, help us to live in that hope, to stand in Christ alone. We praise you that that's possible through the work of your Spirit and through all that Christ accomplished. Father, help us to just, again, think about what we've, seen from your word, the songs that we've sung this morning, and just rejoice in who we are and what we have in Christ. Pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen.